The Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. All right, and we're back, and honestly, I'm not sure yet if this Oscar Race Checkpoint episode you're currently listening to is being released on October 23rd, 2019, which would be the 76 years to the day of the release of the original screenplay Oscar winner Princess O'Rourke from 1943, or if this episode is being released on October 24th, 2019, which would be 41 years to the day of the release of 1978's The Wiz, but regardless, this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, and I'll start by asking co-host also mike here mike two questions one did you know that Sidney lumet directed the whiz and two what do you think about princess o'rourke i did know that Sidney lumet did you really i was shocked the whiz. Uh, that that was that was something that uh i re-watched over the last couple of years it's pretty darn good still it's fun holds up it holds up good i mean there is a certain pedophile in the movie <laughs> Like, or per- perhaps he's a pedophile. I don't know. What yeah, am I supposed to do? Yeah. Is he or is he not? We don't know. Some people say no. Some people say yes. It's a hard-lined issue right now. We don't know. All right. And for Princess O'Rourke. And for Princess O'Rourke, I would like to do a guess the plot on Princess O'Rourke oh, right now. Nice. What, what All right. would it be? It would be uh, the Irish royalty. Mm-hmm. And of course. they uh, own a, a bar in the middle of New York City. Fair. And Princess Julian O'Rourke. Julian, yep. Started this bar and it became PJ O'Rourke's. Yeah. Uh, a pilot falls in love with a woman he believes is heading cross country to become a maid, little suspecting that she's actually a princess. So you were there. It was close. You're right. You were a couple words away from They're having last, that nailed down path. The last standout. They exactly. didn't want a skyscraper there. A in, bartender, in a yeah. princess. Nailed Here's it. your Oscars. <laughs> so, uh, this is the Oscar Race Checkpoint. This is your once-a-week Oscar-centric and new show that we release to you. We cover only and all things Oscars and Academy Awards and award season-centric stories. So that's what you'll be having this episode. Uh, if, you wanna, if you're looking for any kind of other entertainment or Hollywood news, we have another new show delivered to you weekly. Uh, that's MMO Weekly, Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. That comes to you on Mondays. This week, we usually do Oscar race checkpoints at the end of your week, but we're kind of having a, a midweek check-in for the Oscar stuff right now this week. And part of that is because we just had a major trailer dropped on us. Star Wars Episode Nine, Mike, The mm. Rise of Skywalker. We have a final trailer. Is that a name I'm supposed to be familiar with? <laughs> uh, all right, Mike. Kenny Skywalker dunk contest. In Jeremy X Skywalker. 91. <laughs> so Star Wars is and has always been more your property. You are a big fan yes. and big into the nerddom there. Uh, you have much more of a relationship with this. So this breakdown is all you. I'm just along for the ride. What did we see in this final trailer? Well, the biggest takeaway right off the bat after the, you know, it stops after my 37th rewatch of this trailer. Naturally. Right? And I can finally think about what happened. Of course. Ray did not go to the dark side in this particular trailer. That happened at the end of the last trailer. Correct. Are they leaning away for that? from that? Are they just realizing that we all guessed it was just a misdirection and it's just kind of a silly marketing ploy there? Do they realize that we know it might just be a temporary thing in the movie? Or now, are they really trying to give us a misdirection. Misdirecting the misdirect. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're doing there. Well, that would be interesting, but it certainly suggests that we're getting a certain final battle on this trailer. I mean, that looked like we have Ray and Ren squaring off, and that looks like a final battle, no? So that was on the poster, and 
we get a really cool shot here where a wave is crashing yes. over that barge. Or awesome it could be visual. a fallen skyscraper. We don't know what it is. It's like this long rectangular boat. That basically was the boat at the end of 1966's Batman, you know, the movie. It's <laughs> Truly, the same thing. Yes. The same production. Another values. MMO inside deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's walking through the wave, and the first thing you see is that red lightsaber with the, you know, the cross handle there. I just keep seeing stuff like that, and I just imagine how far the green screen acting has come. That J.J. Abrams and all these wonderful directors are able to get that look on screen for us that looks like we're actually yeah. in this, I don't even know, oceanic wasteland? It, it looks so real to the point where we think it's real, right. but in fact, it's just like you and me on both sides throwing a couple buckets exactly. of water yeah. on Adam <laughs> Driver. Machine, yeah. Like, oh, Mr. Driver, the water works off of He's not well. wet enough yet! <laughs> Yeah, take 17. I just blew out my shoulder throwing these giant buckets of water. Uh, uh, guys, I think we got it. <laughs> One more take, please. Did, did the bucket man speak? <laughs> Look over yeah. there, please. Get back. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> All right, so this trailer is more about friendship. It's about the group banding together. So I guess it's kind of awkward to show the Ren uh, Ray going to the dark side here in this trailer. Although it would be a hell of a misdirect at this point because you're right. right. It seems like a homecoming, a last ditch. I mean, they make a point in the trailer to say, I'm just taking one last look at my friends. At all my friends yeah. because it's the end of the saga. 40 so years, nine chapters. It would be a cruel twist of fate. I would actually give them props. God, would I love it. Would wouldn't, I love Wouldn't it? that be crazy yeah. if they turned her to the dark side? I, I'm, 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 I think Disney's not going to do it, no, right? There's no. no way Disney does that no for way. an ending. No way. So, But they might. If it was George Lucas, I would say it's anything's possible. <laughs> Literally anything is possible. But what if they did? That'd be great if they did. I don't did. know. He's got enough cachet right now where he could. I mean, J.J. Abrams. And Lord mean, knows he's handled endings perfectly in the past. That's true. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight tone of voice. But all right, I'm a fan of that 3PO line. I thought it was sweet. I love the little uh, alien guy behind his head yes. fixing his brain yes. there Very i cute. thought that was you know cuteness overload like we've been seeing on a lot of these disney trailers of late mike sure have i love that low angle shot in like the hallway is it a death star hallway is it a star destroyer whatever where they're fighting they're they're basically going down the hallway and it looks like the camera angle is peeking through a closing door it's the coolest shot of the year that I've seen. We're certainly... I wonder, too, how much of that is going to bleed its way into Oscars talk because mm -hmm. we have so many... Because everything is being held until late 2019, save for a handful of pictures, there are so many wide-open categories right now that any... I mean, you think about last year, you think thought things were wide open. It's even more so this year. Well, Force Awakens got five technical awards, mm -hmm. including editing, and then uh, sound effects, score, and uh, VFX... For both of those movies, The Last Jedi and Force Awakens. So for this movie to build on its like technical credo and to be viewed as a technical achievement as a trilogy would make sense yeah, to me. Yeah, the precedent has been set. You're absolutely right. So you're right. right. So if we if we get a cinematography nod at the end of the day, would we be all that shocked? No, I, not at all. It does, like you said, it looks wonderful just from what we've seen off these couple trailers. You get the deleted scene from Frozen 2, that ice glacier, <laughs> or whatever that is. It looks glorious. And then look, I mean, right when you start the trailer, you get J.J. Abrams basically paying homage to his hero, Steven Spielberg. Indiana Jones wow. always losing the hat. Good call. I just love that. That's what makes this series so accessible. That's what makes like these characters so relatable. She lost her hat. She's a superhero fighting ninja genius. 
and she loses her hat just like a regular schmo like you and me. Do they rewrite Ray's parents, yes or no? No, I don't think they will. God, I think they'll be tempted to. I really hope not. I don't think they will. The rise of Skywalker's got to be Leia, correct? It's got to be. I think you and I could sit here and literally do an entire episode breaking down theories and what makes sense. And that's just a credit to all the writing that's gone into Star Wars yeah. over the years and the lineage and the history and the source material and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't... Sure. Yeah, it could be Leia. It could be Ren. It could be Rey. It could be Luke. It could be a billion different storylines. So <laughs> anything makes sense. Monosyllabic name. Pick your <laughs> exactly. three letters. Right. <laughs> could be any of those things. Right. So we'll see. I, I can't wait to see this movie, though. It is my number one most anticipated film left in the year. Makes sense. I, I don't know if I that should be my number yes, one. Yes, it should. You're a fan. I mean, that's I'm, what movies are supposed to be overall, right? Make you a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. And yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's transition to a new segment that we're going to introduce right now on Oscar Race Checkpoint. We're going to have this as basically a preview, maybe a slight prediction section as well. We're going to take certain looks forward at certain mm -hmm. movies to come. We have what we call this five golden questions. Uh, questions we need to see, we want answered from the upcoming would-be, should-be, maybe Oscar contenders. And for this introductory segment of five golden questions, we are looking forward to the films coming out through the first half of November. Right, Michael? Yeah, there's a ton of movies coming out. We'll do like a second half of November, five golden questions too, if we like. We could do it for Thanksgiving weekend alone, we I think, with all those freaking movies that are coming. November 22nd, that, uh, just that day. So know, how this right. is going to break down, Mike has two questions, I have two questions, and then collectively we're going to ask one question. These are questions that we want the upcoming movies, the supposed Oscar contenders that are on the list last week of October, first couple weeks here in November, uh, what we want to see, what we want answered. Maybe they're in terms of specific parts about the movie, maybe they have to do with performances maybe they're about the oscars puzzle overall so mike why don't you get us started with question number one question number one is does harriet the movie sink the harriet performance from cynthia arrivo this is a big one yeah she, makes a lot of sense she, yeah i mean she was my early front runner you know when we predicted we took a look at the whole slate yep you know the, right after the oscars uh, last year but by all accounts this movie is not great do better movies that could have potential nominees like little women queen and slim and clemency bump Cynthia Erivo out of this race. Can earlier releases that were very well reviewed, mm -hmm. like The Farewell with Aquafina, like Us with Lupita, like even Midsommar with Florence Pugh. I mean, they're all in Feinberg's top ten right now. I wouldn't be shocked if we kind of took a, a look back at some of the movies that were already really strong from this year and went back to them, or obviously if one of these other movies come through for us. I don't know, Mike. We're going to figure out this answer. Of the early scores, or at least the, the first looks and first reviews of movies that were supposed to be contenders that we have not yet gotten our hands on. Are you the most surprised by kind of the tepid response that Harriet has have? So here's the biggest thing for me. Like, something like Dolomite is my name. That's just like a movie star movie. If this is an action star Cynthia Erivo here, mm. is she going to get the credibility that she might deserve. It's not going to translate into the performance, yeah. If it feels like an action movie, and it's just this righteous, kick-ass action film, like the trailers would suggest at times, and it's not a great one, but it's, like I said, it's righteous and it's strong, that could disqualify her. Sure. Unfortunately. If it's just a drama done okay, like a Judy, let's say. Right. 
then she might still be in it. Could so how enough. is this movie going to play as an Oscar contender? We know that Oscar movies pl- that need to play like Oscar movies. Yeah. Oftentimes. Uh, it, especially it's supposed to be one of the kind of kickoffs of this avalanche of contenders coming out for us. So that's definitely something worthy of keeping an eye on. I think that's a great question to start with. Uh, I'll follow it up. My question is, question number two, do we have a director stepping up and entering the conversation for best director? Look, of all the big eight categories, best picture, the four acting categories, two screenplay categories, and director, I think director, best director is the one that's kind of been the most static. Yeah. Tarantino, Scorsese, Watiti, Junho, Mendez, Bombach, Heller, Gerwig. Those seem to be the field of eight that people talk about most often. And I went through and looked. They account for 90.8 and something like 127 out of a possible 140 slots on everyone on Gold Derby's top five. Really? It's one of the, it's those eight names. Every top five is 91% those from five of those eight names on every list. So We should remember this moment and freeze it in time. Because what if those eight movies get Best Picture nods at the end of the oh, day, Oh, good, right? good call there, this too. Is, yeah, it, if they all live up to expectations. Yeah, why not? there for half a second. I thought that was interesting. But I'm, I'm curious to know, who's this year's Powell Pawlikowski? Uh, who's, where's Paul Thomas Anderson with the, the late-in-the-year debut of Phantom Thread that he just gets propelled into the conversation where he makes the nomination right. and makes the field? Is anyone going to disrupt this field of eight can anyone does anyone have the capability and we certainly have kind of a lush field of filmmakers still to come that really aren't getting any best director buzz james mangold scott z burns trey edward schultz alma harrell uh it's it's a wide open category i feel and it's kind of tailor-made for somebody to step up because we all know the longer you talk about people and the longer the same names are in the conversation it provides a chance for somebody, the new shiny thing on the block, the newest toy in the aisle, sure. to come along and just grab the momentum. So a couple things. I wonder if, because we have Scorsese and Tarantino atop this category, yes. if people are basically saying we need major contenders to take them down, or else why bother? Why right? are we going to bother campaign, looking at, yeah. Why do this? So like all of the quote-unquote buzz mm. is limited. At the end of the day, you might have a Trey Edward Schultz come out of nowhere if that's just a, a statement film. Sure. And it's, it's it's a film that gets a ton of momentum. Like, that's a movie where it's been nothing but raves. Exactly. And Honey Boy, it's been nothing but raves. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, would we be all that shocked if one of those gets momentum in a category like this? Yeah, but would we only not be shocked but kind of be pleased as be well? Pleased. Right. Yeah. Yes. So that would be, we'd want to, that to propel that even further. But here's the thing, like Junho Bong now is gaining that yes. level of momentum. So I would say he's a strong three. I've heard Bombak could be just script at the end oh. of the day. He might not get director. And Mendes, Mendes, we don't know. We don't know. And I'm so tired of bounding that drum as well. <laughs> so Gerwig has been there before. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peele has been there before, even though that would Not be a listed, callback, yeah. a callback nomination. And Lulu Wong has gotten some buzz, not this month as much as last month, like and, you said. And I would sign up for any of it. I, I, I think there's something to that. We get tired of talking about, especially when they're older white men. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's the truth right yeah. now. There's a lot of room for people to want somebody else to kind of take the category by storm and ride it out. There's a lot of different ways in which it could happen. It could be the movie stands on its own merits. It could be some marketing campaign. You touched on that. I think it's absolutely true. Something to keep an eye on as we get a couple contenders uh, kind of unveiling themselves and debuting in the next few weeks here. What do you got next, Mike? So, unfortunately, I kind of let the cat out of the bag of my, mm. my <laughs> burning question number three here. I'm wondering, 
if we're gonna have that surprise film and i'm targeting honey boy i'm targeting waves which is like later in the month but for now let's talk honey boy because shia labeouf has gotten legit buzz yes however when all the pundits do their punditing that's not a word (laughs) we have him outside of that top five because we have names in the top five big names yes who's gonna give that undeniable performance where you just cannot stop the momentum in this category because it could happen like they're all strong right now but i want to see the undeniably great performance is it mr labooth is it miss is it mr sterling k brown i'm i'm looking at those two movies and i'm excited about the upside of those two movies and i'm overhyping them so damn much right now because of my excitement as far as labeouf and that narrative goes i mean you're the one that keeps saying it and it's absolutely true hollywood loves a comeback Right? right, they absolutely love somebody that was on top of the game that's gone through a hardship and is kind of clawing their way back to Oscar's relevancy. So that could be tailor made for him to slide into. And if he does sure. have that kind of momentum attached to that performance, what else does Hollywood love other than a down on your luck biopic? He's going ugly. Right. It's crazy exactly. lighting. A lot of things going towards Shia LaBeouf's way. I would love to see him uh, make a little noise in that category and step in with the big boys with how many A-listers are in supporting actor uh, as well. And that kind of parlays itself and lends itself to my the fourth question here, my second question. Because I'm cheating, and that's what I usually do in these lists, I don't have one story. I got a lot of best actor storylines. Does okay. Ian McKellen have any Oscars pulse left Ooh, at all for The Good Liar after having some buzz way back in the early summer and late spring? How far can Eddie Murphy surge upwards with the official Netflix release of Dolomite Is My Name just coming a few days away now? Uh, Ford versus Ferrari just announced that we're going to touch on this, that both their protagonists are going to compete for best actor, Matt Damon and Christian Bale. They're both going to be campaigned in that category. Does one out shine the other or is that just continued cannibalization as far as each other's awards chances all year long uh best actor would seem it shouldn't be wide open it shouldn't be wide open it should not be wide no. open leo's the best performance no but, but it is wide open right now well <laughs> i i would disagree because i think best actor starting to truly take some shape has with, one or two slots with yeah the top four i would say mm-hmm. from what i'm hearing yeah. because we haven't seen all th- all four yet We've seen two. We've seen two, and in my opinion, two no-brainers. Joaquin Phoenix and Leonardo DiCaprio. By all accounts, Adam Driver is a no-brainer. Yeah. By all accounts, Jonathan Price is a no-brainer. Now, that's a little more flimsy than Adam Driver. So, I would say a big three and then a probable four. Is Robert De Niro a probable five? Because otherwise, you got a, a, a group of Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler and Taron Egerton, Banderas. I don't know... If there's going to be an opening for two guys or one guy, yeah. the, the fact that everybody is like thinking best actor, though, is also strange and, and can't be for best actor because <laughs> at least they have one spot when they probably have no spots in supporting yeah, actors. It's, it's going to be an interesting year, and just because of the number of quality A-list performances that we have, somebody's going to be left out in the cold, and it's going to be somebody big. It's the most loaded year for be- best actor and supporting actor we've seen in a while, in my opinion. It's about so time something started happening, right, for older white men in this Older world. white men are having their year, Mike. <laughs> uh, we got one more burning question to agree upon, I yes. think, and to give a unified front here. And I think... We're wondering where Jojo Rabbit is going to land on the mic scale of don't let this win. (laughs) Is it a don't let this win or is it a close to that? Because we have 
had predictable best pictures where we've we've really just went at could it win yes should it win we hope it doesn't despite win. hoping against it yeah the shape of water uh. it was building momentum green book was building momentum and that was God, just anything but. Right. So th- let's let's rephrase it and say, is JoJo Rabbit going to become the anything but award for us? Now, it's worth noting pick. right now for both of us, we are excited to see it. I am too. So, I, I really yeah, am. I don't think it has that kind of initial stench. I don't think Green Book had that initial stench for us either, though, is the counter argument. Green Book's initial, initial watch experience for me was like fat Italian guy. <laughs> Right, right. Beautiful music, <laughs> wonderful performance by Mahershala Ali, and everybody told me like they're lying about this for racially right. insensitive reasons. And then the white director's like, "This is the greatest statement on I racism have cured ever. racism. This is how the world should be. You're all welcome. Thank you very yes. much because of me." Yeah. And I was like, "What the f? Yeah. What's going on?" So uh, there's a lot to that. I can't see Taika Waititi. Right kind of putting his foot in his mouth about those subjects. Even still, though, Mike, even still, we had Tier 1 movies already last year. And we had Tier 1 movies that came out throughout last year. Green Book was never a Tier 1 movie. No. The Shape of Water was never a Tier 1 movie yeah. for us. Is Jojo Rabbit going to be that Tier 2, Tier 3 movie, that B movie, that we're, we're BB+, plus? That is just the anything but this award because I want my tier one movies to win. Oh, once upon a time in Hollywood, the Irishman were guessing maybe these other movies are going to be tier one movies that we're saying it's got to be one of these three, correct? And is it a year where it's open enough where priority balloting dictates the best picture race again, where it's kind of that Could second be. or third on most people's ballots is what makes the biggest difference? Uh, something to definitely keep an eye on, especially on the heels of the great success and probably unexpected success that Jojo Rabbit has just had at some prominent film festivals True. in the last few weeks. Uh, so those. Those are your five golden questions that we have for this week. This is a recurring segment. We'll bring it back every once in a while to kind of set the stage every couple of weeks to let you know what's going on, what we're most looking forward to, and what questions we think need to be answered. As it is now, we'll transition to some more uh, usual award season news, Michael. And yeah. we touched on the first yeah. story, kind of. We did touch on it. Bale and Damon are going for the lead actor category. Okay, we mentioned supporting actor might be even more competitive. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why Brad Pitt was kind of be you know slow to be announced for that category. Because everybody's like, oh my God, who's who's not getting nominated here? Pesci? Is we gonna not nominate Joe Pesci? <laughs> he just came back for this one. Yeah. I think he gets in just because he's back. <laughs> so he's probably getting nominated here. And it's crazy because, you know, we're getting great buzz on LaBeouf. And Kay Brown, and we're feeling good about those performances, but they're going to be like six and seven right now. It's just insane. So Best Actor seems to have that at least one open spot, and maybe they're thinking Damon is way down on most people's lists, so this is a bail thing. Yeah, unless the studio is sure that Damon has no chance, and they're just doing this out of like a courtesy to him and his career and his status as an A-lister... This is stupid, right? Like, I I think this is just short-sighted. If you are earnestly campaigning both these performances in the hopes that they win an Oscar in the same category, that's not that doesn't work anymore. It's not going to always cannibalizes against each other. It's not going to work this particular year when you have a big four. Sure, yeah, and I think also what it may do is because this is a big studio film. And they've decided to campaign their two lead A-list names mm-hmm. into the same category. I think, and I hope, as I've been on record saying, it will dissuade other movies 
such as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, from doing the same. They'll put Pitt in the supporting actor category and leave that up to Leo. So it's one guy from your movie against two guys from the other movie should those two guys make it that far, et cetera, et cetera. And that would probably decide it, wouldn't it? I would think so, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about it. That's a possibility. Again, unless the studio is just thinking that Matt Damon has no shot whatsoever and this is just a courtesy campaign to him. Now, maybe they're also thinking this. Like, Netflix only has so many resources. We're going to talk about their, you know, books later on mm-hmm. and their debt that they've been taking on to produce original comp- content maybe they don't care about putting the money down on an oscar campaign that we would have thought they you know might have mm-hmm. and that they they're more concerned with clicks on their service that people are into their sure. service so maybe they don't campaign jonathan price that hard maybe it's all adam driver trying to get him the win I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe Price is not as obvious a, a, a must nominate as we might think. Well, he certainly we two spots open. He's certainly the least quote unquote household name of that field right now. If you're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, Joaquin Phoenix, and the Joker, Adam Driver, who's Definitely. Kylo Ren, even Christian Bale, he, like Jonathan Price, he's well known, I'm sure, amongst the Academy. He's well known amongst pundits and film critics. But maybe there's something to that. He's also had a career of very few nominations across the board and awards. Shockingly, it's, it's it is shocking. So yeah. has he rubbed some people the wrong way? Now I've li- just listened to his beautiful interview with Scott Feinberg yeah. on the Awards Chatter podcast, and it was a joy. I mean, the man was telling anecdotes and stories. It was just a great conversation, and he was tearing up telling stories about his childhood and his father's. Ugh. My God, it blew me away. It was. It reminded me of the Richard E. Grant campaign, the same time yeah, yeah. of, of that Richard E. Grant campaign that was irresistible. And got a lot of momentum towards the awards at uh, the end of the year, yeah. Definitely. So I, I wonder. I wonder how... Jonathan Price is, is really getting angled by Netflix because we know he's angling himself for this. Sure. We'll see. Interesting enough. There's certain, definitely something to keep an eye on uh, as far as maybe not so much Oscar news, but still highly relevant because there's some big name directors involved. I wonder if this becomes Oscar news because Scorsese is still talking shit about Mar- Marvel. He laments young people's conception of cinema. You have James Gunn, who's kind of sort of firing back, kind of like I fired back. <laughs> you're geniuses. <laughs> Thank you for all your you know your work, sir. But you you don't really get Marvel. Right. What was that? <laughs> you don't really get Marvel, sir. Nothing, nothing. Nothing, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't say anything. But you also have Loach and Morelli's now talking about they'll, they're not interested in that genre and the genre's commodities. They're like hamburgers and they just we're piling on now. Yeah. And then worst of all, Francis Ford Coppola. How can this be? <laughs> Our hero comes out and says, actually, Scorsese's being kind. Marvel movies are despicable. <laughs> you want to go first here? Or you want me to go? You can start, please. I I'm so tired of this story already. I'm so tired of it. I think... Look, this is kind of a lazy job by the media in pushing this story, I feel. Mm. Because it's a lazy question to ask of directors and filmmakers who clearly are not the target demographic of Marvel movies anyway. True. So, of course, they're going to have negative opinions. Of course, 
I'm sorry for saying this for like the fourth time already, but the old white men that have ruled and mastered this industry are not going to want to see it change and not going to want to see the foundation of it shift. True. Have you ever tried to like talk your old racist grandfather out of a, a diatribe of no, Thanksgiving? they're not yeah, They're that, not that all right. at all. all right. I'm, but I'm just like, it's hard to dissuade someone with so much experience. Because are they wrong necessarily? And Ryan Terry has a book out there, folks. Go buy his book about the theme parkization. He, he says it better, of course, in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, th- movies can become like theme parks. Uh, what I'm saying is, I love theme parks. Right. And if you have the just wherewithal to give me thrills in a movie, visceral thrills in a movie that also, you know, spark all the right. senses, is that such a bad thing? And, and is that d- anything different than popular movies have been doing for years? Exactly. And we were, I mean, they were raised on something else. We, our generation, James Gunn's probably generation, happened to be raised on Marvel properties, cartoons, comic books, TV shows, etc. Right, so Psycho is freaking you the F out to the point where you're screaming in the theater. That first shot of the train coming at the 1920s audience and the audience running out of their seats because they thought it was real is a theme park of of cinema. It's what is the difference, folks? I, I get there's a lot out there, but I'm just saying it's, it's a hypocrisy to me that these men are pointing out that we're taking these popcorn movies and we're doing something different with them because we're not. We're not doing something all that different with them. 1980s action movies, which Scorsese was it's a, a huge critic of. different type of, of. Th- theater, yeah. Yeah, but it's this, It's very similar. The, the idea block, is the same, yeah, I agree. The blockbuster movement of cinema is something that has been relatively consistent over the years, and it's been a formula that's been duplicated over the years. And guess who established that formula? <laughs> Your buddies, Scorsese and Coppola, I've watched 10 documentaries and read books on the friendship between Coppola and De Palma and Lucas and Spielberg yeah, and Scorsese. The four, the foursome there, foursome. Uh, here's my other point, too, in this. Again, it goes back to the media. There is this desire and this push to kind of polarize this issue and make a rivalry between Marvel and... You know, Team Marvel and Team yeah. Movies, yeah. that's just wrong. Like, we can disagree. They could think that it's not good th- cinema. We could say it is good cinema. And guess what? Everybody can go on with their day. The fact that you call it not cinema, though. Oh, is, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, what I get I'm with you, about. but I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's just something that we need to keep score that, okay, okay, we got we got Francis Ford Coppola on our team, and we got Martin Scorsese on our team. Like, that's a that's a media-driven thing for easy clickbait look, headlines. I, I just think if you look back at the popular cinema of the 1940s and the popular cinema of the 1960s... You're saying it's objective, they're objectively There correct. have always been... Stuff that the art side, the artists, yeah. you know, the the auteur side has criticized of the popular side. There's always been that dichotomy, and you've had main, you had art directors, art film directors become blockbuster filmmakers. You know, Spielberg and Lucas. You know, they're kind of like that. They're, you're obviously much better examples of that out there elsewhere. Chloe Zhao, for instance, now is going to do an MCU movie, right. right? I mean, that's a perfect example of what what's happening, and that always happens. So why is this generation of filmmakers locking arms right now, angry that the cinematic experience is being lost, and yet basically the number one draw for the cinematic experience, they're unhappy about that too? Because they're not getting that money. And they're probably jaded that they're not getting that money. And I mean, that's, look, I stand by that. I think it's the old, you know, the old guard 
doesn't like the shifting landscape. I yeah, think that's a big part of it. Scorsese makes he got some of that money and he makes Hugo and Hugo's not the same kind of hit. Right. I don't even like Hugo. Right. That's one of the few Scorsese movies I can't stand, yeah. to be honest with there you. There you go. So I mean that's but that's not his bag. That's not the kind of movies he should be making. So of course he's against it. Right. The movie should be what I make. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I mean, what are you saying, old dude? <laughs> Sir, sorry, I, I it's, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm starting to get. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, he's allowed to have his opinion too, whether he's objectively Definitely. wrong or not. I, I, like, I don't. This idea that we need to vilify Martin Scorsese now because he thinks his Marvel movies are bad—that's true. Too. Like, who? Can, let him I, think that. You could, you could say that. You could think that. Here's where I land at the end of the day. We need this story to stop, and we need yeah. other. We need new blood to get in that director category, like you're saying. Otherwise, maybe this story doesn't stop, and it just keeps annoying. Interesting us going too. Forward. Yeah. Because if we don't get new blood into this category, God help us. Yeah. Well, I don't think Kevin Feige is going to be offering Marty to like direct the new Blade reboot anytime soon. Yeah, he's not. Although I would absolutely watch that. I would watch that like <laughs> Mahershala now. Ali doing Blade under. Yeah. All right. Anyway, like, now I would watch that. The World Soundtrack Awards had their awards given out. I guess. <laughs> Too many babies. All right. My biggest <laughs> takeaway is that Hildur Guanatatir. Yeah. Excuse me. I had to say that name last time. She is making a name for herself this award season. Her Chernobyl score has won Emmys, and her Joker composition is going to be up for this year's Academy Awards. The fact that she is getting soundtrack awards, I just, it, it, you could see that branch. You know, going for sure, her absolutely. this award season. So that Joker score was something that we loved. We thought was super affecting. This could be some momentum here that we're getting on the ground floor on. Uh, totally co-sign and agree. Joker is probably one of the two most affecting scores that we've landed on this year. The other one being Michael. I think Us. Yeah. I think uh, Jordan Peele's Us from Michael Abel's. This is getting the Discovery of the Year award at the World Soundtracks. I love it. I would like clarification and clarity about what is and isn't considered original score for us. Because if that Five on Us remake is considered an original work and part of the film's score, it has to be nominated. It's on my Spotify playlist. Right. I'm it's so good, and it plays it such a big yeah. role in that movie. It's basically its own character. But I don't know that it would be original, and I'm not even sure I'm convinced that it should be considered an original work sure. so i'm just i just want clarity about i'm it. rooting for it. of though. course like, absolutely award this great piece of this <laughs> film award that that's what i want movie award shows to yeah. be about uh, what let's the, get it what are the two biggest songs in cinema this year it's either that is one of them right. and the other one is probably gary glitter's rock and roll in the joker which is now mm -hmm. its own ball of mm -hmm. awfulness that mm -hmm. we have to debate and think about effective so, though yeah effective mike the waves premiere happened in la last week we got to start going to these things, Mike. Listen to this spread. I couldn't believe this. Was a Hollywood joke. Reporter. Quote, guests were served bite-sized samplings of grilled primed New York steak, southern fried popcorn chicken, tuna tartare, and bruschetta topped with whipped ricotta and tomatoes drizzled with balsamic reduction. I'm bigger than you physically. There is no way your colon and heart outlive mine, though. I, I just accepted it at this point. Probably, probably short for this world. I could not. I, I read your copy there, and I laughed out loud that that was your first take. I should have seen it coming, though. It's my most important take of the podcast because that just sounds delicious. I love how they, the, the, the critic who wrote this, excuse me, I did not 
include the link here. But whoever wrote this, it's like in the first paragraph. Made a point to throw it in there, yeah. Right up top. That well, maybe be... maybe you have a kindred spirit out there in the I critic world. I absolutely do. Uh, but it also tells me that would be my first take as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about this movie, but this chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn chicken. Balsamic reduction just made the dish. <laughs> do you have anything about the Waves premiere, Michael? <laughs> I can't wait to see this movie. It's another one of my most anticipated. And I basically was going to take this story out, but I left it in because of the list <laughs> the of popcorn food. chicken. No, yeah. but we we've talked about Waves before. It might be one of those movies that bursts onto the scene, that becomes a phantom thread, yeah. that really breaks through, that becomes that indie movie of the year kind of feel, right? It's one of those that, like you said before, I mean, have you heard a bad word said about it by anyone? Nothing but Raves. Now, how does that become where all the pundits start picking it for everything? alliteration <laughs> mike i wonder if this is going to get into that category of all right this is a new rising talent this is a original screenplay or adapted screenplay this is cinematography maybe this is one or two things but it's not going to be for everything because this person hasn't paid their dues yet well that's so I mean, aren't we past that how past it does that does that notion become especially with a widening and diversified academy everybody's if you've gotten to this level you are paying your dues currently. And that's how I feel about it. But anyway, this kind of goes back to the Marvel argument too. And this is your argument for Waves right now is the same argument I've had for Knives Out. If something is made and it's so universally praised, right. why is that not considered one of the best in some category and talked about seriously as an Oscars contender? I mean, at what point are we going to get to? Like, everybody loved Mission Impossible Fallout. Maybe we should think about nominating Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah. even though it's not the quote-unquote Oscars way. If most of the Academy has the vantage point that Mr. Scorsese... Yeah, they and can't his, even accept that it's actually movies. Do. Right. They don't even believe it's cinema, and they don't believe it should be the cinema of the year. We are of ways off. You're right. Yeah, so we're not there yet. Well, I think this is interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my side eye on Waves and Honey Boy at the beginning of this month. Let's see if we can get some buzz going. The next big story here, Rocket Man. They're campaigning the hell out of things right now. Elton John and Taron Egerton were on stage during a L.A. Uh, Paramount screening of the movie. They're on stage performing after the movie. You had a live orchestra performing during the movie. And then you have Elton John, you know, giving new quotes that are just, you know, absolute superlatives about Mr. Egerton saying that he felt I was looking at me, unquote. <laughs> You let me ramble that far. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's, I, that's, that's that's personal grudge against Rocket Man, but this is genius marketing. They really are. And I, I... We started an Oscar Ace Checkpoint <laughs> show. We want it to be more legitimate. We wanted to focus and stay on brand. And you literally just fart noise for 10 whole seconds. I, I thought we were getting there. I have a grudge against this movie and its Oscars chances, but I'm jealous. I'm I'm angered by how well it's being marketed. <laughs> I mean, you have... I have a question about this, but what the facts are, like you said, Elton John is promoting this. He's holding private concerts for critics and Academy members, yeah. and he's marketing it, and he's performing with the star of the movie. He's even releasing his first ever biography that just came out that's going coinciding with award season right now. It's a big hit. My question is... This has to affect some voters, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw Bohemian Rhapsody basically schmooze its way to, to a, Globes, to a Globes sure. win last year and because then, of all the whining and dining they oh, were yeah. doing with HFPA members. 
you would think somebody, Brian May was everywhere. There was a camera and an awards show for a film. Mm -hmm. If Elton John's going to do the same, that's going to win over some voters and directly impact the way that, I mean, is this a new land for musical biopics? Are they all going to be favored like this because of the attachment with the celebrity? Here's my concern for Rocketman. It's a departure from the genre, more so than Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody is that same good old musical biopic, but with a little twist and with a little ingenuity at the end. Sure. Of it, and a great performance to anchor it, right? Yes. And great music throughout. And Rocketman has great music throughout, and it, but it's, it's a, a larger departure from what we're used to yes. in that genre. I'm guessing that's going to rub this old guard of the Academy the wrong way. Something that can't be won over by Elton John performing for them in private, you don't think? I'm asking genuinely, because I, I, I wonder. Know. I wonder, too. Yeah. So that that's my biggest question. Are they going to get wowed by the campaign enough? I mean, will young people get wowed enough? And sure. will the old guard get wowed enough? I can see, I mean, I still see that fifth slot, maybe the third, uh, fourth and fifth slot, the best actor. You got to give them credit. I mean, they're campaigning the right, they're doing very smart things. It's going to be costumes, yeah. we, we think. Makeup and hairstyling, we think. Yeah. So it could get sound effects, perhaps. It should not get visual effects. I, don't I would so. be upset with yeah, that. I would as well. I, that was like a glaring problem with that movie. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. It's another one. Certainly. It's another side eye. Marriage Story, Mike. This is getting a run at New York City's iconic, recently closed, but now reopened, Paris Theater. Do you have any experience with the Paris Theater, having gone through a school out there? In I don't think so. No? I've been to some old theaters in okay. New York throughout the New York Film Festival. I went for a couple years there, but I don't, I don't think this was ever there. All right. I'm I don't remember. Curious, no? I don't remember, but the scuttlebutt here with this story is that Netflix could keep this renowned theater open, and therefore, maybe I can actually go to this. <laughs> uh, they've already done this. They're still standing by their lie that they're not buying theaters just to placate the Academy. It may not even be a lie anymore because Netflix certainly has bigger problems facing them in the very near future rather than playing nice with film festivals in the Academy, which we'll get to at the end of this episode. So This would also be the opposite of what humongous corporations usually do with a small niche Yeah, but it businesses. buys them good PR. It buys them good PR. And wouldn't it buy them good PR for a time? And then, you know, what's their end game? They don't want movie theaters to exist is their end game because they want to be the they charge of the movie. Their movie theater. I think Netflix needs to worry about existing uh, when, we, when okay. we get down to it in a little bit. I'm, I, yeah. That's fine. I just want a happy balance because I like my streaming movies. I like my theater. And I just want theaters. the world to burn. <laughs> <laughs> You're quoting. Oh, fuck that movies. All right. <laughs> Women in film. They're going to honor Lena Wertmuller in a couple different ways. They're going to give her a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We have her getting an honorary Oscar at the Governor Awards this year from the Academy alongside David Lynch, Wes Studi, and Gina Davis. This is a great story. This is a film that we're not familiar with, Mike. 1975, Seven Beauties. She's the first ever female nominee for Best Director. Ties in nicely with all the work for equality and advocating that uh, Gina Davis has done throughout her career uh, on, on the gender issue. So that's that's nice. Lena Wertmuller, first female nominee for Best Director, going in and getting the same award, being on the same night as Gina Davis. That's nice to see. It took until 1975 for the first female to yeah. be nominated. For, and it wasn't even an American film. That didn't happen until 2003 with mm. Sofia Coppola. There's been five female directors nominated for best director in the history of the Oscars. Ugh. So 
the fact that we're patting ourselves on the back when talking about this year's best director, that like 20% of the potential field could be women, it's 2019. This is disgraceful. I mean, and I, I'm sure when, when Lena Wertmuller gets her stage and gets her moment to speak, she's going to say things more eloquently and officially and authoritatively than I ever could right now. But just doing research on this, she certainly deserves this. I would say this is long overdue. Women directors by the Academy and their recognition is long overdue as well. We keep talking about that often on this show. Yeah, co-sign all of that. But, it's again, it's one of those stories where it's a, it's a good thing, but it's a Good bad job thing. for getting here. What the hell took you so long? Yeah. Shame on you for waiting so long. A lot of those stories. Yeah, sure are. That's Hollywood for you. Some film festival news. Three stories about the two popes in particular. AFI added the film to their slate along with the Aeronauts. So AFI showing a lot of cool stuff. And now the two popes really getting its work in on the festival circuit. I think that's important. But here's the bigger story, perhaps. It won the Middleburg Film Festival, and it won the Audience Award at the Mill Valley Film Festival. So, Just Mercy won the top prize over Waves, Ford vs. Ferrari, Motherless Brooklyn. That was all at Mill Valley. Two Popes won the Audience Award for U.S. Cinema at Mill Valley. That's what happened there. The AFI Fest uh, is turning into a festival I would love to go to. And you said last week on ORC that you want to go to Miami and you, you want to live in Toronto. Is yeah, what you're I, I, my the two festivals I really want to go to are like the coldest city in the world and downtown LA where you can't get anywhere in traffic and you want to live on a beach in Miami. And I think that sums up MMO pretty dis- definitively. We got the two vantage points, the two <laughs> viewpoints that are clashing: fire and ice, winter and summer. One last ridiculous side note before I start uh, analyzing what happened here with the two popes. Tony Dobbish of Take Two Podcast. He's a buddy of ours. He talks a lot uh, with us and with me on the Instagram uh, DMs there. Uh, Always chimes in, listens to our program quite often. He pointed out when I said that Middleburg was a fake town and a fake city and a Gilmore Girls property and not a real festival, he actually... DM me a map of where Middleburg is and says it's a real thing and even included a photo of him at the Middleburg Film Festival. <laughs> so this is the furthest anyone has ever gone to oh, yeah. prolong a lie that just is... to, to have me buy into it and I'm still not. Those are gymnastics right there. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about the two popes. Uh, big win for the two popes at Middleburg, I would say, uh, even though it's a fake film festival. I don't know if all these films were competing, but shown at the festival was basically a who's who of this award season. Ford versus Ferrari, Clemency, Just Mercy, Varda by Agnes, The Report, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite, Motherless Brooklyn, Les Mis, Marriage Story, Knives Out, The King, Jojo Rabbit, The Irishman, A Hidden Life, Honey Boy, Harriet, Aeronauts, a- Atlantics, and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood were all shown there, and the two popes won. So the only skepticism that I've really heard for the two popes is that it's Netflix's third major contender and they're just not going to have enough juice to give Marriage Story and the Irishman and two popes probably a good point enough of a campaign yeah. but everybody seems to say like the movie's really strong and the performances are Oscar worthy and the the script I mean in, in any year this script should be nominated it's McCartan's best and we I keep hearing this over and over again now it's winning audience awards it's winning best film in a film loaded film festival awards I, I do think it could be gaining enough momentum and it could be working for itself as much as Netflix is going to campaign for it at the end of the day to where you do get three major contenders from Netflix into this thing and it doesn't matter it, it makes that would be ironic considering what they're doing with their debt this year that right. this is the year they have to pump even more into uh, the campaigning they and getting seem to have the goods though yeah. don't they seem to have it the does goods seem that year? way and you're right there's been a lot of 
positive word of mouth and positive press for the good Pope. I'm wondering if this is an odd year in that because so many movies are being held back late and there's so much of a mishmash as to what the consensus best pick is thus far. I mean, we don't know what the bigger award shows are going to have to say in the bigger film festivals, but, you know, you had Parasite winning some, you have Jojo Rabbit winning some, the two Popes winning some. I wonder if a film that's a serious awards contender like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if it debuting early and having... Nine months of the film year to itself, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a couple other, handful of others, but one of those type of films. I wonder if that's going to work in Hollywood's favor. If there's going to be just mishmash of like, I don't know what to choose, I don't know what to choose. Well, I've liked Hollywood for a long time because there's nothing else that's been out there, so let's pick that. That's a rare glass half full <laughs> explanation from you, which I'm very happy to see, especially after you wanted to watch the world burn earlier. This is a quote you're using to scary degrees lately. Me and Quentin. <laughs> concerned folks i'm concerned but mike i have always known that there was going to be this huge deluge of new contenders we've, right we've always right. known this we've always asked the question of once upon a time in Hollywood: is it going to be good enough to hold mm-hmm. is it going to be good enough to go the distance it's quentin not going to stick his foot in his mouth by the way Martin Scorsese being the one that's saying stuff to sink his awards chances and not Quentin Tarantino? Perhaps, what an upset. Though, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps he's galvanizing his old guard yeah, maybe. behind him and saying, yes, you're absolutely right. Theme park cinema, damn kids, get off my lawn. He might be doing that. I don't know. You're right. He could be. You're absolutely right. You get him Vigo Mortensen, he deals 52 hot dogs. You know, that might have worked last year. Oh, boy. This country, huh? This country. But that academy, it's just this local academy full of people that mostly live in the same spot, that all know each other, other, that all work together. It certainly would seem to probably have more impact had he done this a couple years ago, rather than, it is young, the academy is ostensibly younger, it's ostensibly more diverse, Mm -hmm. it's ostensibly bigger. Who knows how it's going to play? It's going to be an interesting case study. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. So last three quick stories here, and I'll rip them off fast. I think I have quick takes on them. Bill Murray is going to be honored at the Rome Film Fest. That's cool. Proper. Francis McDormand, Wes Anderson are involved there. Uncut Gems was a big hit at the New Hampshire Film Festival, according to our friends at Award Circuit. The so, New England territory is full of degenerate gamblers. That makes sense. Yeah, that's. I didn't <laughs> notice that, but you are one. It takes one no, to know no, that. No, 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 no. Shindisi wins the Warsaw Film Festival. I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but it's up for Best International Film this year from the country of Georgia. So I thought that was interesting. They, again, the, that branch could go for some festival. Yeah, ones. and for as many candidates up for nomination in that category that we talked about and focused on last week's ORC, this wasn't even one that made the list. So it's a pretty deep field of some high-quality pictures for Best International Feature this year. And your lone hope for Zombieland Double Tap for mm. getting a Best Picture nom. It pretty much rests in the fact that Bill Murray does something outlandish at the Rome Film Festival. I'm pulling for you, Bill. Don't let me down. He's got to. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Uncut Gems, that's nice to see. And I saw Sandler higher on the Feinberg list this week. I'm seeing him rise on Best Actor. Isn't that bizarre? That just feels like us being raised in that happy Gilmore Billy Madison. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's, yeah, I, I'm from Baltimore. I've always been a big fan. Like I know both of us have. If he fills that one open slot. Or and then he wins. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> All right, let's plow into make the case here. Start wrapping up. Michael, you're going to try to make the case. Uh, looks like against one thing and for another. Sure. Let's talk about the first. Let's go against because I'm a negative person and I embrace the obscene. <laughs> the darkness. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the laundromat here. And it's not the movie I thought it was. <laughs> well, wait a minute. It's still fun. What does that mean? It's not the movie you thought it was. I thought it was going to be old people bickering <laughs> lovingly. <laughs> About running a laundromat. Sure. And then, like, mobsters are laundering money through it. And then mm -hmm. they're bickering about that. And that would be funny funny to watch that bicker. It's not that movie at all. Right. Now, <laughs> once it started, once we got the marketing, I was like, oh, maybe it's this cozy mystery with Meryl Streep. And she's going to be the whistleblower doing the Aaron Brockovich thing. It's not that movie. It's not that either. It's not that movie. All right. So, it's bottom line. Preview made it seem like. This is a fun movie to review. I went on the Nomcast, a.k.a. I went on with Andrew at the Netflix Original Movie Podcast, and we reviewed it. We broke it down thoroughly. It is spoiler-filled, so watch the movie first. But I really think like we nailed some of the things about it that we didn't like, and there's a lot of things we did like about it. So it's one of those movies. It's like a 50-50 movie, so you can go either way. The message is great. It's worth watching. It's one of these crazy too crazy-to-be-true kind of stories. It's not Oscar-worthy in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion. You don't think it touches any category? No categories. Like, the production design is laughably bad but i oh, think it's man. on purpose it's purposely bad meryl streep is given a great performance on the one half and then on the other half i'm like what is she doing mm. there's no yeah. way people go for it and if you've seen the movie you know <laughs> and then the other two guys are kind of hamming it up and it's almost like a get it out of your system performance like tom hardy needs to do every two out of three performances like this but meryl streep will do one out of ten performances where she'll go into the woods for one performance right, right? or gary oldman will have to do the wild accent well that's the thing about this if i were to tell you that gary oldman and meryl streep are going to be corralled together to put forth a picture i mean you would think surely Something is going to be Oscar nominated. When we did all our predictions, yeah. way too early predictions, this was something Absolutely. that stuck out to us. When we talked about the Netflix Oscar push, we wondered if this was going to get sure. that prime spot. And we were, we were weirded out by the fact that, wait a minute, this is getting introduced early in the award season. Yeah. Right? And all their heavy hitters, you know, two popes. The two popes? What? <laughs> the two popes is getting the December 1 hammer spot. Yeah, Netflix still has three potential awards monsters, and yet this is not one of them. The Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman movie is not. Right. This is not one of them. All right, so if you want to get also Mike's further in-depth review, do go check out that Nomcast uh, episode that uh, Connecticut podcast taking over. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Biggest state in the country. This is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you can go check that out uh, over on the Nomcast feed there. Michael, let's make the case for something now. So for Monos. Okay. And you finally saw this. Alejandro Landis is a talent that is going to have to be reckoned with, man. I mean, he is awesome at what he does. I, I got to see his previous films. I didn't know him from Adam before this movie. I'm really impressed by Good. this man's filmmaking. And the cinematography is the most breathtaking thing about this film. There's no question about it. I mean, it helps that he's in the jungles of Colombia. It helps that he's on the mountains of Colombia. It helps that he shoots beautifully through a fog. And there's also war games going on. It's crazy, the, the camera movement. It's crazy how they're moving in and out of these settings. Now, is this movie going to be a best international film contender? I, it could be. I, I, I have it ranked above Pain and Glory for me. I thought this was fascinating. Considerably? It's a movie that I can't stop thinking about. It's one of those. That's like, good. It's effed up. 
it's a weird movie. It's doing like I work with high school kids. I do, and it, it I have a particular soft spot in my heart for these kids and getting manipulated in, in, in movies, right? And characters this age getting manipulated in movies, especially by governments, sure. by you know guerrilla warfare movements. My God, can you imagine if the kids that I worked with were actually out here and forced to you know go to war with people? Right. Holy shit! It blew my mind, and. I'm watching this story unravel, and it's truly an unraveling tale here. So, to me, I would give this my vote. I would give this my vote of confidence, especially in the cinematography area. I don't feel like it's getting momentum. I don't feel like it's going to be in the conversation at this moment. But I'm here making the case for it. I'll be the guy, uh, uh, you know, the outlier here. It's a B-plus for me. So are you saying minimum two nominees in the Academy of Also, Mike? I'm saying maximum two nominees. Maximum two. Maximum two nominees. So in the Academy of One, if you were the Academy, you still wouldn't give the director the nod over some things you've seen? Oh, it's a best... It's best day is probably best international film, in okay. my opinion. I, I would be surprised if cinematography had had a chance, but it, it should be on more people's radars. Well, I, just to say, I mean, Never Look Away kind of had the same. It came from nowhere last yeah, year. Filmmakers established he's been nominated. True, for that's the counter. That's the counter. The same thing with Polakowski right. coming out. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, look, Mike made the case. We've seen a lot of polarizing. I probably middling to disappointing reviews about the laundromat overall so i don't know that you're out too far out on a limb there i haven't seen many people uh recommending monos or saying that they want they hope to see it in the international feature category or they think it should be an international feature nominee but if as always if you've seen either of those you agree or disagree or want to point out some other Let arguments uh we certainly want to hear that from you and want you to get at us leave us those comments questions or whatever mike mike and oscar on facebook or instagram <laughs> especially or at, the whatever or at mm and oscar on twitter uh, good job there, Michael. Let's move on and finish up with some industry news now. So I'm going to set you up because you got some fire here. Yeah. Oscar screeners started to trickle out, Mike, and they're doing so later than ever before. This is based on a Hollywood Reporter article by Scott Feinberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clayton Davis of Award Circuit just came out on Twitter last night, I think Tuesday, Monday night, and said that the only screeners he's had are what's cited in Feinberg's article, which is basically The Secret Life of Pets 2. He's got two copies of that. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Ruth's documentary, uh, apparently the documentary category is the most notorious for getting their screeners out earliest. That's hmm. the only documentary that's really been sent out to people right now. Right. So for whatever reason, despite the shortened calendar that we have this year, with the Oscars going early in February and the dates getting moved back about a week or so each, nobody's seen anything yet. Or nobody's being sent any screeners yet. Everybody hasn't seen everything Exactly. Yet. And that's the problem, right? Bizarre. And yet you, you put on top of that that the Academy is going forward with this streaming channel, which they're charging filmmakers... $12,500 to get their movie up on the Academy streaming website or channel or whatever. Okay. That seems awfully prohibitive to any independent picture, doesn't it? I mean, studios right. obviously are going to have no problem finding that money right. to get it up there. But any kind of... Uh, this totally excludes any kind of guerrilla-made picture. Yeah. Right? Well, I perhaps. Again, the studio's got a lot of money. Sure, yeah. Any kind of distributor that, can probably If a no smaller problem. movie yeah. is... is has enough momentum for the Oscars, it's going to have somebody backing it that can, you know, it's coffee money. Uh, that's all I really have on this. It's going to be interesting to see if that has any kind of ramifications as far as nominations go. When we get there, obviously, it, 
the Academy aren't getting their screeners. Mm -hmm. They're not going to see these movies. Well, then the popular movies already know the Academy doesn't watch a lot of screeners anyway. (laughs) We've proven that over the last couple of years. So uh, with a shortened calendar, might be a year where the default choice is even more prevalent. And the default choice is probably going to be the more popular film. It was crazy. I was reading like the animated uh, category requirements, right? You can opt in to be a voter in that branch, right, for mm. best animated feature. But you got to watch like a certain percentage of the movies. They don't tell you the percentage. I don't remember if they did or not. But it was like two. It was a two thirds. I mean, whatever. how do you, how but do you how know? Do you, like, is there a test? I don't, but now you can figure it out with the streaming. <laughs> sure, you could watch match up accounts. Yeah, that's a good get point. The stats that yeah. way. So That'd be now, interesting. Uh, those are no, another whole set of stats that I'd want from the Academy <laughs> that we'll never get, of course. Mike, Netflix, is uh, they have raised $2 billion in debt amidst this original content push. They tell investors they are looking to crack down on password sharing. A couple big stories coming out of Netflix. Netflix is floundering, I think. Ooh, uh, harsh uh, words. They look from the outside right now, at least to me, as desperate as they must feel they are within the company walls. I mean, just the last month and a half, two months or so, they've added another $2 billion to their debt sheet. They decreased or announced that they've stagnated subscriber growth. They've not been hitting the numbers and not been growing at the rates they have been previously. They've been raising prices on current subscribers, and now they're going to limit password sharing or, quote, crack down on it to keep you from borrowing your neighbor's account or having eight people on one account because they think that's going to increase subscriber purchases, which I don't think necessarily is going to translate. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have answers on any of those questions. I will say that they still have gains that they're making they do and they they have great original content that's going to be up for awards this year so i don't i want to be a a little hesitant for crushing so but it it doesn't look great uh, i agree with you they they do have original content they clearly are oscar chasing this year and they're doing something they've never really done before with the irishman and putting so much money and putting so much campaign and hope into it and hiring scorsese who's a prolific director etc etc here's the problem with netflix overall though and this is encapsulated well by a stephen mcbride article that he wrote for forbes back in early august uh he's highlighted that netflix was on the verge of losing its most watched show at the time which it since has in the office right. that's the most watched program on netflix and he's lo- it's losing another one of its most watched shows in friends there's a bigger problem that he cites which is that more than half of the top 50 most watched shows on netflix are owned by networks who are currently or have already debuted a subscription streaming service yeah Netflix is losing its library, which it was only building in the first place because streaming wasn't an option for like the NBCs and CBSs of the world. So the only option they had to license out these shows and get more money outside of syndication and cable syndication was going with this new upstart Netflix brand. So it makes sense to me there for that Netflix would do the original content push because, yes, they have Stranger Things, but you need your own stuff. And they've been building it. Slowly but sh- well, not slowly but surely, quickly but sh- and surely over the last couple of years, and they're really hitting some out of the park this year. Yes, TV and film. But 
the fact that their top 50 most watched programs, more than half of those well, are still not. It takes a while to build up your... How much time does it have? Well, we always knew they were going to get gutted in terms of mm-hmm. their subscriber base once the streaming wars really hit. Right. We knew that, right? And they got to know that, right? Sure. It can't be the... But is their sure. only answer, which it seems to be right now, at least the suggestion on the loan that they're going to go for, this $2 billion, is their only answer to that going deeper into debt, which is going to be... Very, very difficult to ever get out of if your options of streaming are more limited by every network keeping their IP to themselves. So it depends on how much they get gutted. It depends on how much uh, original content they could hook people with. Mm-hmm. And they got to know this by all the numbers. And it depends on how much that stuff costs. And I would say that they're probably adding some of that debt with buying Seinfeld, right? I mean, didn't they get Seinfeld? Yeah, so, yeah they did. Yeah, that was $500 they did. Million, So but that's going to replace The Office of Friends in terms of being one of those 50-watch shows. So they, they are substituting a little bit. Yep, they are. That's, that's true. I mean, they're not just standing here and taking the beating. You're absolutely right. They are being proactive. I'm not one for reading the stock market too in-depthly or too concretely. Obviously, Stephen McBride is uh, an expert that writes for Forbes. Here's what I'll say and what he cited in this article as well. Netflix, the stock, had been trading on an average of the last five years at 215 times its earnings. Mm-hmm. The average stock trades for about 20 times its earnings. Netflix has done so well because they have been so reliant. So it's like There's a subscription It's like a Netflix bubble. And in 2019, that 215 times its earning number is down already to 140 times its earnings. Right. Hey, we got to come back down to earth. That's all. Well, coming back down to earth, though, means if it ever gets down to a regular stock quotient, it's going to lose 70% of its brand. If it even goes to 40x earnings, it's going to be down 70% of its value. If it drops 70% in like a year or two year span, it's probably not going to recover because of the debt it's carrying. Okay, so I wonder if a 70% drop-off is is possible for something this... Again, I'm citing the article, and this is the point that Stephen McBride made, it's how he projects and how he reads the yeah. market, so I can't... It's not for us to say I don't know enough about it. Again, any big company such as Netflix losing 70%, obviously, is a huge story, and they probably can't recover anyway. The fact that they've already lost... I mean, what's 215 to 1? That's a drop of about a third. I mean, they've already lost 33% of what they're trading on in a Again, year, five-year span. This That's is not the great. trading number. This is not the... This is not what they're making in terms of profits number. I mean, no, but it's run, but, the, but the earnings profits. number is run, running on the profit per share. Oh That's how the earnings God. number goes. So profit per share. Oh, my God. Thank God we don't have money because we would lose it. <laughs> we lose it. I don't get any of this stuff, but I kind of get it because essentially... The shareholders are driving. I mean, even on raw, yeah, even on raw numbers, if something was two two fifteen something, and now it's one forty something, that's losing thirty three. That's a third of it's gone. But it was bloated. It was a bubble. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. When there nobody was uh, was doing what nobody else was doing. And so what you're hitting on is the big issue with Netflix right now. What does coming back to reality mean for the brand? Yeah, is coming back to the reality just doing less and carrying a debt sheet of $15 billion, which is about what they're at now, and just having that in perpetuity and treading water to survive? Or is coming back to reality for a streaming service in in the time when everybody has their own streaming service and they don't really make all that much of their own original content for what their library is, is that coming back to reality not existing? I mean, what is coming back to reality? What does dropping down mean for Netflix? We haven't really seen it because, like you keep saying, they've been existing in this large bubble that's kind of been above their heads and and just essentially streaming on other people's goods. I will say, having studied the financial crisis a little bit, Mm -hmm. 
I watched The Big Short. <laughs> I will say that the fact that there's a bubble and then they double down and go into ridiculous amounts of debt, probably not a good thing. That's a question. That's a question. <laughs> that's a, that I, and that's what I'm at. I, I mean, if your response to losing so much in the market already and in your stock price already, if your response to that is, let's just take out another loan, mm-hmm. I mean, if you were a homeowner or a business owner, that's not a good idea. Probably not, right? <laughs> so I don't think it's all that It's a different. reality for a lot of people. Right, sure. A lot of times. It makes so. things incredibly, incredibly strenuous and difficult. Yeah. So... Again, Netflix, as it stands right now, I mean, stocks don't trade on 140 times their earning, and it's able to, so Mm -hmm. it's doing incredibly well on an apples-to-apples, stock-versus-stock, business-to-business ratio. Looking at its outlook, Mm -hmm. it gets murky, and that's the underlying question. What is reality for Netflix? So what I'm guessing is they were thinking, look, we got the bubble now. We got the surplus now. We got to go into the hole now because we can handle it now while we still got the corner right. market where we still got the numbers this high. And it could, we can at least make it back. It could be a case of yeah. we need to make the hit now. We need to make the show that's going to last for 25 years and be remembered in the vein of a Seinfeld, a Big Bang Theory, one of these forever shows. We got to hit that now. That's super forward thinking. Yeah. And the fact that they're doing it as a, essentially a functioning movie studio that is now putting out more than you know five films that are going to contend. I mean, something like that, yeah. uh, Contended major categories. So, I mean, they're doing a good job this year. I think Netflix is knocking it out of the park this year. It's essential viewing for us. Let's say that much. We uh, were doing this Oscar race checkpoint earlier in the week, and we always worry every time we record one of these because of the turnaround time with editing and releasing and all that. We're like, oh, man, let's just not have the big story break right after we release this. It kind of happened with MMO Weekly or Oscar race checkpoint last week with with Tarantino's response to the whole China controversy. Um, I fully expect after editing this and releasing this, Netflix to just be gone tomorrow. (laughs) Movie Pass CEO was hired at Netflix. Who knows? Who knows? It could happen. Uh, Guys, as always, we want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about any of these Oscar-centric stories or really anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those and reach out to us. Uh, And certainly if you're going to try to fight Mike on what his cases were that he made uh, for both monos or against the laundromat or you want to comment on this Netflix, if you know, uh, you know, stock numbers and I'm telling you you just completely wrong information. We certainly want to know that as well. You can reach out to us and leave us those. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mm. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you do hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you have an iPhone, if you use Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, if you t- be so kind, take a couple seconds, go on your podcast app. That's that purple square on your iPhone with the white uh, Netflix stock sticking up in the middle of it. Tap on that. Go into the search. Type and Mike, Mike, and Oscar and submit. You'll see the chance to tap on our cartoon logo faces. Scroll down once and you can leave us a five-star review if you would be so kind as to do that. Those truly, really do help us out. We thank you for doing so and it would take you about half the time as long to do it as it did for me just to describe the process. Half is an overstatement. Make fun of me and leave a comment Mm -hmm. talking about how I'm so long-winded and don't stop talking and talking and talking (laughs) and talking. Uh, Anyway, Michael, (laughs) what is coming next from MMO and what are some words of wisdom for the nice people? So, we're doing the lighthouse, folks. God help us. We're doing that for this weekend. <laughs> uh, next week, 
we're thinking we're doing Jojo Rabbit the following week. Is, yeah. Uh, Harriet. I think those are the next three OSBs. Harriet could fall off a cliff in terms of its reviews, and there's a lot of good movies coming out over the next two weeks, so that's the only one that's on a little bit of shaky ground. But and if we don't do it, we will do the Michelle Trachtenberg Nickelodeon movie from 1996, Harriet the Spy instead. Harriet the Spy yeah. reference because of the same name <laughs> of the other name. Very good, Mike. What do I do with all this space in my brain? It's just a waste of mishmash of old current events and bad films. Words of wisdom <laughs> are an answer to that question, because I don't know them. So let's come up with an answer to that question. And that's essentially the theme of this episode. We are very inquisitive. Yeah. We're asking a lot of Oscar questions. And I think now's the fun, wondrous time of the unknown. Like, we really don't know what's going to happen. And, and towards the end of award season, a lot of things start to get sewn up, right? We're at the, the edge part. of the enchanted forest, and we just think about the wonders that are ahead. We're It's, it's, it's just fog. It's yeah. that Frozen 2 trailer. Right. Like, how many references to the Frozen 2 trailer today? <laughs> a lot we really like that trailer we do we love that trailer and except that when we're on the other side of the forest and we come out every year we're just haggard and beaten True. and tired the enchanted forest is not all it's cracked up to be folks maybe that's the wisdom guys uh when reality sucks you can come watch movies with us we are mike mike and oscar trying to make a war season year-round without the stuffiness we will lead you through the forest and we'll see you soon see you